Good morning, everyone. Christina Banfield here, welcoming you back to Reframe Anxiety and Boost Your Sanity. I started this event purely because I was inspired by the things that don't inspire me, meaning things that show up like the overwhelm of trying to juggle the various aspects of life is something I didn't want to struggle with. So I was inspired how to learn and restore the balance into my life of how to live my day my day-to-day life a little bit more aligned, which comes down for me to building a holistic framework. So your journey of propelling your momentum continues today as we dive into exploring what connection to life really looks like. And we're going to explore this holistic and health wellness uh, mindset with Brian Luke Seward. He's on the call with us today. And Brian is well known, is a well-known expert in the field of stress management and a pioneer in the field of mind-body-spirit um, healing to really bring people to life and that sense of vitality. What I really like to share is that I came across Brian's work almost 10 years ago at a community college. It was through a book that was assigned at a, through a stress management class. And his concepts truly laid the foundation for my health and wellness uh, mindset. And I always come back to one of his books just to remind myself that I do have what I need in order to keep moving forward. So today, Brian is going to share a bit of that foundational work to help you learn about all these layers in our life that show up and most of all, how to grow with them. So thank you, Brian, for coming in and joining us via Zoom. Really sure. appreciate you and, and your time. Um, if you'd like to just jump on in and do a slight intro of yourself, and then we'll get right into the interview questions. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, um, I'm really honored to be part of this. So thank you for the invitation. And um, I got to explain my beard. I don't normally have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, since we're in the time of COVID, I just thought I could share this with you. Um, uh, I have a dear friend who's going through a lot of stress, like everybody else, but he's going through all kinds of marital problems too. And um, one of the things we're going to talk about, and if this may be the time we talk about it, is um, social support groups to have a good uh, quality set of friends, not like millions, but just one or two people who you can rely on. And my friend, um, Dan, is uh, kind of in trouble right now, I guess, with his uh, his relationship with his wife and stuff. And and um, so um, to help out some male bonding, and uh, he lives in Ohio. I'm here in Colorado. Oh, wow. uh, this guy can grow a beard just by sneezing. But but I thought, you know, I kind of stay in touch with him. I said, why don't we do a beard growing contest? He goes, oh great, because <laughs> I want to do that for the longest time. So this we we check in weekly with our beards, and we have two more weeks, and I shave it off. So I I look like a homeless person. My wife reminds me I look like a homeless person. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, um, but social uh, bonding and um, so, social support groups are a big part of what we're going to talk about here today. So I just thought I'd put a plug in there and then tell you that I don't normally look this um, much like Moses or Santa Claus at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. Thank you for clarifying that. I just assumed maybe it was getting cold in Colorado. Um, you're in Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's cold, but it's not this cold. No. <laughs> um, well, anyway, to uh, tell you a little bit more about myself, um, I'm a health psychologist um, and health psychology is what I would describe as the um, the integration and balance of harmony of mind, body, spirit, emotions. We just don't look to see what problems you have. We look to see how you can uh, gain optimal health, but through four areas, not just mental well-being. 
And so, um, so I, I designed my own degree program, guy, about almost about thirty years ago, before anyone really ever heard of this idea of health psychology. But I knew that that um, mental health wasn't enough. I knew that physical health wasn't enough. It had to be an integrative approach. And so, um, and I got this from um, one of my heroes. So I got a chance to meet back in 1981. Her name is Elizabeth Kuba Ross. And she, um, you know, she passed away about 10 years ago or so, but she was famous for her work on death and dying. And I heard her speak at this conference. I was at this American Holistic Medical Association conference where she was a keynote speaker, but she didn't speak about death and dying. She spoke about this concept called holistic wellness. And she drew this big circle on this uh, flip chart. And she said, a circle is a universal symbol of wholeness. You know, she kind of had me at hello. And she said, if you talk to the shamans, the sages, the wisdom keepers, the healers of all times, all cultures, all languages, and ask them, what are the parts that make up the whole to be human? She said, you'd hear them say four things mind, body, spirit, emotions. And as she said this, she put a line north and south in the circle and a line east and west, and then filled in the quadrants with mind, body, spirit, emotions. And I thought, this is this is what I've been looking for. And this is a person who actually helped validate this ageless wisdom in a context that I really always felt but never heard put in such a nice language before. Mm. And so, um, so, you know, you asked me what is what is holistic wellness. The way in which I describe it is basically from the wisdom of Kubla Ross, but she borrowed it from somebody else, so it's not hers. But it's it's what we call as ageless wisdom, and that is the integration, balance, and harmony of mind, body, spirit, and emotions. Mm. And the premise is that the whole is always greater than some of the parts. And so, um, you know, a lot of times we put our emphasis in terms of of um, eating or sleeping, and yeah, those are important. Or um, meditation, yeah, that's important. But if we only look at piecemeal aspects and don't look at the whole picture and how they all come together, then we're doing a half-baked approach. And I think that's part of the reason we've got such a health crisis in this country is that we have a fragmented healthcare system where we, we're really good with, with bits and pieces, but we're not good at looking at the whole package and how we come together. And we're in times of crunch stress right now. We need to actually go back to basics, go back to the ageless wisdom for this. So um, that's in a, in a nutshell answer. That's kind of how I approach it. Um, and so how does this relate to stress management? Well, I'm glad you asked because um, first of all, I got to tell you that, uh, you know, as someone who teaches stress management, um, we begin with definitions to kind of make sure we're all on the same page. And there's no one definition of stress because the people in psychology say it's like this. The people in physiology say it's this. Then you got the people in theology, sociology, anthropology, all these different different uh, disciplines in academia who all have their own definitions and nobody's talking to each other, which is part of the course. But if you were to get a bunch of people together who claim to be experts and say, we need to have some consensus, you might hear them say this that stress is a perceived um, uh, threat. And then we typically say real or imagined because we can all make mountains on molehills. Stress is a perceived threat to our mind, body, spirit, or emotions. And that's the definition I tend to go with. And so again, I, uh, I, I use this template of mind, body, spirit, emotions and take a look at how stress affects all four of those quadrants. And, and it definitely does. And so then we can begin to say, how can we deal with stress? How we need to deal with it holistically from those different perspectives, and um, and and now more than ever. <laughs> Absolutely, I really love your insight on how your 
you're looking at stress. And I think that's something we often get caught up in that we compare our stress levels to other people. And then we stress about stressing <laughs> because, well, look, that person's handling their stress. Why am I not handling mine? And so it goes through like this little whirlwind of overwhelm that we're creating even more purely because stress, we're trying to define stress to the point where we're putting ourselves in a box. But holistically, like you said, it's it can be, um, you know, you, you simply put it of just being a perceived threat potentially. And that is also what some of our um, nervous system experts had mentioned as well. Like we often perceive stress before of more than what it actually is. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you just layering that in again and reminding us that everyone has different um, capacities of stress and what, how that shows up in their day-to-day life as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to give just a little bit of mention to the spiritual component, because I don't know how well this audience is versed with this perspective. I guess one reason why we're doing this is to kind of increase the um, awareness, but um, sometimes people hear the word spirit, and they think religion, and we're not talking religion whatsoever. Um, although there's definitely an overlay, obviously, but um, I often do this exercise. And I'm going to kind of toss this out to listeners of this um, take a moment to write down your top 10 stressors and just put like a word for each one. And, and typically I give us an assignment when I do this in my classes. And so people will write down, um, you know, roommate or uh, parents or uh, parking or something like that, or, you know, money or lack of money. And so then I say to them, you know, if you don't have 10 stressors, don't make up um, a couple. If you've got 47, I just want 10. But then I go through this list and I say, check off everything that involves a relationship either with yourself or with somebody else. Put a check mark there. And then I say put a check mark next to everything that involves a value or a value conflict. So like money would be wealth, that's a value. Um, not enough time, that's a value. Um, health, a big one right now with the virus, that's a value. Um, put a check mark there. Yeah. And then the last one is purpose of life. Um, kind of like, you know, why are we here? You know, for, for college students, it might be things like, um, you know, I got to declare a major or I got to get a job. Uh, we talk about career. We talk about family. We talk about uh, parents if they're, if they need uh, care when this, as they get older, there's all kinds of things we can do for uh, life purpose. But if you're honest with yourself and you take a look at your list, I guarantee everything is going to be checked off with relationships, values, and purpose in life. Now, if you were to talk to these same shamans, sages, wisdom keepers, and healers of all times, all ages, and ask them, what is this thing about human spirituality all about? They're not going to talk about religion. They're going to talk about three things, relationships, values, and purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And so when I first heard this, you know, back, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, and then I taught stress management, and I would ask my students, you know, why are you taking this class? And of course, this is, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, they would say things like, um, you know, I had to declare a major. I have no idea what I want to study the rest of my, my four years um, or that I'm having problems with my roommates. And I, as I talked, I'm thinking to myself, wow, they're talking about relationships, values, and purpose in life. There definitely is a connection between stress and spirituality. And by not acknowledging this, we do a great disservice to the whole field of wellness, stress management, and resiliency. Um, so yeah, so muscle tension is huge. Um, headaches, not sleeping, those are huge. But but this topic of stress is colossal. But if we don't address it holistically, we're doing a half-baked job. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd love to hear your insight too on the spirituality aspect and how that shows up, particularly in the occupational setting in your career. 
So uh, we have a lot of people online that are working remotely. And um, I'd be curious to hear your, your perspective on how's that spirituality component show up, uh, especially when we're online right now? Uh, well, before all this, um, I can tell you, and it's, it's actually gotten worse. So it's, you'll see the answer here. Um, but you know, I, I was kind of interested to learn that more people have heart attacks on Monday morning between the hours of eight and 10 than any other time during the week or that day, actually. And the question is, how can we program ourselves to have heart attacks? So someone got the bright idea to interview people who survived, not everyone did. And they asked them, you know, what's going on in your life? And they basically said, I hate my job. And someone had the foresight to pursue the line of questioning to say, what don't you like about it? And the answers that came back were, I feel like I've got no purpose. And so we talk about purpose in life not being fulfilled. And this has a direct effect on someone's um, health and well-being in terms of their physical health and obviously their heart. So um, so now we see people who are um, questioning their their work status or their career path or whatever, because now they're, they're not at home. They're at home. They're not at work. Uh, and now we're seeing a big shift in terms of, you know, are they going to go back to the office or a lot of people are now selling some of the real estate. <laughs> we don't, we don't need offices. Everybody's going to work from home, but there's a real question of uh, work-life balance too. Um, so uh, in a simple term, and this is not simple by any stretch of the imagination, um, purpose in life is now being addressed uh, a lot as a health issue, as a mental health issue in corporate America. And I think we're seeing this rise to the surface now with this pandemic as people are saying, is this really what I want to do? And, and I don't know if you've heard this or not, but a lot of people in the past, I don't know, four or five months, when they saw where this is all going, said, I don't need to live in New York City. I can work from anywhere. I don't need to live in Chicago or anywhere else. And so a lot of people are kind of reconfiguring their lives yeah. uh, to try and, and move elsewhere where they can actually get that balance. And, and th that's a big part of this whole idea of, of uh, wellness is um, integration, balance, and harmony of mind, body, spirit, emotions. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing your insight. It's, it's very, um, I think it's a good reminder that we're not totally defined by our jobs. And that we do have a spirit inside of us that still wants to live and explore and, and be in touch with the things that truly raise us up. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that shows up in the ability to do remote work because then you can go explore the things that you're truly connected to or now you're home and you're working remotely, but you can connect with your kids now, even though, yes, that could be chaotic and there, <laughs> there's a lot of overwhelm. And that might be a very good segue to go into of like, Okay, so we have this holistic health lens. How can we use this to decompress from the stress that's happening and uh, apply this model that you have mentioned now with the mind body or the mind? Um, uh, what was it again? Sorry, the mind body spirit. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Mind um, body spirit. Yeah, well, um, you know, there's, there's no easy answer. There's kind of like a, a, a a collective answer. So let me kind of like begin and we can kind of like, you know, pick and choose what you want to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the obvious is um, the physical component. I mean, we need to get better sleep and that's not happening across the country. I got to be honest with you. It wasn't happening before the pandemic, but it's really not happening now. Um, I, I came across some stats that said that um, over half of Americans don't claim not to get a good night's sleep. And this is pre-pandemic. So now it's really, you know, a, a problematic. And wait to hear this. 
one of the things that really suppresses the immune system is lack of sleep. So I'm thinking like, hello, this should be headline news. <laughs> um, another thing is, of course, you know, healthy eating. And we see a lot of people doing um, uh, comfort foods or um, um, mindless eating, I think is what it's called. Um, and of course, you know, that's not good either for the immune system. And of course, exercise. So th those three things, you know, are just like givens in terms of physical health, and, but they definitely have impacts for mental health and even spiritual health for that matter too. But um, the, the big buzzword right now in stress management is resiliency. And one thing I came across, because I've been asked to speak on this and, and give talks and things, and when everyone hears the word resiliency, they think of being strong, the ability to bounce back. And yes, that is a huge part of resiliency. But new research out of Harvard has come to the uh, realization that resiliency really is about trying to replenish your energy. And we have so many people who are overwhelmed and exhausted I mean, that word right there talks about energy depletion, but mm. be exhausted. And I want to put a call out to the African-American community because um, you know, NPR did a, a survey a couple of, uh, maybe like a couple of weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer, asking for feedback about the whole, how you deal with the pandemic. And a number, overwhelming uh, number of black women called up and said, they used the word exhausted. Mm. And of course, um, this pandemic is affecting demographics of populations differently than, than, than others. And, and that's, that's another stressor, but we won't go there. But the bottom line is that when you're exhausted, you're, you're depleted of your energy and you can't really function very well. You can't have a good relationships. Um, also you can't do good self-care too. So, so one of the things about resiliency is basically taking time to unplug from this uh, social media world that we're all pretty much, you know, strapped into long enough to catch your breath. And, you know, this is one of the, the core elements of, of spiritual growth too, is spiritual health. It's just basically it takes some time to do some introspection. You know, we call this soul searching, but in this case here, um, I want to put a, a big, um, uh, I guess, um, advocacy out for taking time to meditate, taking time. And there's a million ways to meditate. The big one right now is mindfulness, but there's hundreds of ways, if not more, um, but just a sit quietly, just focus on your breathing, unplug from social media, from the cell phones, from the iPads, all this stuff. Um, and, you know, do not, I mean, don't even have it in the same room as you're doing this. So you can just catch your breath. You, know, you can basically just get some mental um, clarity, some mental stability. And, yeah, the first time you do it, people typically say, I hate this, I'm bored, I can't stand this. That's why we begin with just, you know, three minutes. We build yeah. up longer if we can. But um, but right now, I see so many people who are um, deluge with um, digital information. And the new term right now is called um, doom scrolling, going through social media. <laughs> I'm thinking like, okay, that word doom <laughs> give you an idea that we've got problems. Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm a real big fan of this and you know, I can go on about this forever, but I, I know we have a question. <laughs> but, but if you get nothing else out of this presentation, it's this. Take some time to unplug. We call this digital detox. Unplug with a healthy boundary and take some time to breathe and just clear your mind. I love that. Yeah. And I'm a big advocate on taking advantage of what's around you if you have uh, access to it. So if you're in an area where you have access to go on a hike or just be in sight of greenery, it's, it's such a good way to just ground yourself. Um, if you're not into meditation quite yet, it's a good way to start just looking at what's around you 
that is something calming. So, yeah. you know, we were uh, earlier before we started about um, hummingbirds, and um, I got to tell you a really cool story because it's part of this. Yeah. Uh, so last summer, um, you know, everyone's kind of like stuck at home, so we drove up the mountains and we got a, a cabin up the YMCA of the Rockies, uh, and um, so my wife had her grandson out here, and they've got lots of hummingbirds, and I'm thinking like, I wonder if I can get them to, to feed in my hand. So I got this little um, kind of like the top of a grapefruit juice container, right, which was red, and I put a little um, uh, plastic flower just thinking I can get, go in there and get that up and stuff, and I got them to come to my hand. Now um, uh, my wife's grandson is is um, seven years old. He goes, I want to try it. So I said, okay, but you got to be really still. And I said, you got to send love from your heart down through your hand. So the hummingbirds will come get the nectar, but also the good vibrations. I was giving him a little meditation practice. So he sat there, I swear to God, <laughs> half an hour, still as can be. And the whole reason I bring this up is that um, nature, as you say, is very, very healing. And this was connected with nature, but it was... Also, the art of stillness, to be still, to be present with that. At times, I got to tell you, he had five or six hummingbirds in his hand at one time, and he was, I mean, a smile from here to, to, to God knows where we back. But it was so cool. And then, of course, um, you know, I did it too. My, my wife did it too. It was just, it's a spiritual experience. But that is that kind of took us out of the whole pandemic, the whole, um, you can't go to your favorite restaurant, <laughs> the whole thing about, okay, what are we going to do about this now? Because um, we were in the present moment. And that's really what, you know, mindfulness is all about, be in the present moment. So, so nature, yeah. And, and obviously, you know, you know, with where you are in California, you've got a lot of greenery. It's a little brown out here in Colorado, but that's okay. We'll get yeah. to green soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it's a brown mountain, it still works. It's still nature. It's still uh, promoting that that moment of stillness, right. And being present. So that's what matters. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's such a cute story. And, you know, kids have such a way of connecting with the present more than we think if we just give them the opportunity to. So, um, you know, on this note of resiliency, I do have, I did have a question around, um, how we build a sense of resiliency and adaptation that you had mentioned earlier. So if we'd if you want to go ex into expanding on the adaptation portion, and then we'll circle back to um, how we create those healthy boundaries for ourselves too, as sure. I feel like they probably interplay. Um, okay. So uh, back at the end of February last year, I thought to myself, okay, I see where this is going. This is not good. What message, what take home message could I give people? And so the, what came to me was this idea, we need to learn to adapt because we're going to go through some major changes and, and sure enough, we did and they're still coming. But on the first part of, of adaptation, this is not my information. I just like called it from various sources, but when someone's gone through like a, a spinal cord injury or um, a huge, um, death of a spouse or something like that. And you know, we've all got to go through adaptations. And so this is, this is on a grand scale, but the first thing is to basically grieve and do some healthy grieving. And really the reason for this is that um, with change and we've gone through a lot of it with change, um, there's a death of expectations. You know, you thought you're going to be able to go to your favorite restaurant. Now it's closed. Or you thought, um, you know, you were going to get a, a, a refund check for, for uh, say like 1200 and now it's only 600, you know, fill in the blank here. But whenever an expectation isn't met, there is um, a sense of grieving. And then there's also a potential sense of anger too. And so um, with this, um, adaptation says, let's first acknowledge the loss. We need to do this before we move on and, and then let that go. And so this idea of adaptation says, um, 
let's begin with this. Then we begin to build strategies. Uh, but before we do strategies, we got to take a look at resources. What resources do we have to work with? Now, typically people think of two things, time and money. However, with what we got going on right now, um, we also think of, of our friends and family as being a resource, um, but then I would say also our inner resources. You know, a sense of humor is essential these days. Um, a, sense of, a sense of patience is, is essential too, because if you're waiting in line to Whole Foods trying to get in because they only allow like people in there. Um, so, so we really got to use what I call as our muscles of a soul to, um, to help in the adaptation process. And then, you know, make some strategies. You know, I like to swim and, and I got to tell you that um, I usually go every day, but now they limit it to three times a week because of the COVID thing and you got to make an appointment. So, you know, so I, I got my ducks lined up there, but it turns out that now I've got to set a time to go swimming. Whereas before I could just walk in the pool whenever I wanted to. So um, that's part of their healthy boundaries, which is a really good idea, but I had to accommodate or to adapt. The word I hear right now is pivot, like, you know, go in a different direction, but, but pivoting isn't adapting. Adapting is, is more of a, a mindset to go along with this and, and feel comfortable with this and not feel victimized. And so then we make strategies and we take a look and do the strategies work. And if they don't, then we tweak them. And if they do, we keep them. And then what I also noticed in the whole adaptation process is you got to have some means of celebrating, celebrate the small successes. So, you know, if you made it back to the grocery store in in a, an hour versus three hours as last time last week. Hey, let's let's celebrate that. Just you know, give gratitude, and that's part of the idea of success of, of um, celebration is gratitude. Um, the research shows that uh, if you can actually be grateful for the small things, um, then you're not focusing on the negative stuff. You know, and I, I think of. Um, this one friend of mine, he's an advertising executive. He used to work in New York City, but he kind of got tired of the whole um, scene. So he, he went off to do his own wellness uh, marketing stuff. And he's the guy who came up with this, this, the slogan of seven up the Uncola. His name is Alan Shamir. But he has this wonderful uh, slogan that says a thousand things went right today. You know, rather than focus on the negative, we focus on the positive. So when I give my students this exercise, they're like a thousand things, you know, nothing went right today. And I'll say, can you breathe? Like, yeah. And I'll say, well, there's some people who can't, they're on respirators. Put that down. Like, okay. And I'll say, can you walk? Yeah. I'll say, well, I have a friend who's in a wheelchair. He can't walk. Put that down. So you begin to see the, the things we take for granted are the things that really we can be quite grateful for. And that's a part of celebrating the successes. You know, obviously, you know, you think champagne, we think, you know, all grandiose things, we have to kind of temper this down for COVID, but, but we can still celebrate. So that's the whole idea of adaptation. And it's a process. It's a skill. And the first time you try this, you might think like, oh, I hate adaptation. I can't do it properly. Um, this didn't go the way I wanted to. And that's okay. That's part of the grieving. We're grieving. <laughs> it's like you're in stage one. Good. Keep going. Um, but we want to get to the point where we get out of that and accept the situation things we can't change, you know, the proverbial uh, serenity prayer, and then move on and don't drag that baggage with us because it's only going to slow us down or stop us. Um, but um, one of the things I like is to move out of victimization consciousness into empowerment. And this is a real important aspect of the process we're going through right now. And again, if you get nothing else out of this talk for the listeners, it's this, we need to move from fear to love. And I'm not talking Hollywood romance. I'm talking um, 
love as many colors as rainbow. Humor is a, a type of love. Patience is a type of love. Forgiveness is a type of love. Optimism. So when you find when we find ourselves getting upset about something, just ask, okay, we seem to be in the fear mode, anxiety. How can we shift toward love and compassion? This is the most important thing we can do right now. And it is possible. It's very, very possible. You know, um, part of what I do as a, a, a health psychologist is, you know, I look for people's stories. And there's the stories fall in two categories, victim and victor. And the victim stories are always the same, poor, poor, pitiful me. And after a while, it kind of gets boring. So I don't listen to those anymore because I already know how those are going to go. But the Victor stories, I love. And I, it's almost like I have a sign on my forehead that says, tell me a life story. And the worst it is, the more I want to hear it. And I hear some doozies, let me tell you. <laughs> and I think to myself, as I tell them, oh my God, how do you deal, how'd you deal with this? And these are not victims, they glow. And they say things like, it was my sense of forgiveness. It was my sense of humor. It was my sense of patience. And I think to myself, these aren't gifts for a chosen few. These are birthrights for everybody. And so um, I gravitate toward those, but I also realized that if they can do it, we can do it too. And so it just takes practice. I mean, this is what we're here for is practice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's been mentioned a couple times by our other speakers too. It's exercising the muscle of emotion and uh, becoming familiar with your senses. And just like you're saying too, with, within the, the victim and the victor stories, um, there's a sense of when we're connected with those sensations and our mindset around, around how those are impacting us, that's when the true adaptation is really starting to occur. When we start shifting into, oh, this is actually the uh, silver lining of this situation. And it's not always easy to get into that mindset and shift. Um, yeah. So I, lo I love the examples that you provided too, how to shift into the love space and how that could show up as humor and patience and various ways because often we can be like <laughs> very narrowed into this is what it should be this is how I should be experiencing it and that goes back to how we uh we're narrowing defining stress as well so just keeping that open perspective of there's other ways to evolve and shape ourselves and that there's more than one way to do that definitely definitely hey one thing I, I was going to mention um is that the elephant in the room is the ego and what I typically say is if stress, then the ego is what trips the fight or flight response. So you need your ego. And I live out here in Boulder and, and like every third person seems to be a Buddhist. And I see bumper stickers that say, kill the ego. But I'm like, mm, they got that one wrong. <laughs> I don't know who made that bumper sticker, but no, because you need your ego. Otherwise we all be amoebas. But what we don't want to have is the ego become the CEO. Then we've got all, all kinds of problems. And so what I typically say is that, um, Part of this whole process is to learn to domesticate the ego back to its role as a bodyguard. And we want to have this balance between what I call as the ego and the soul. And one of my favorite expressions is um, the ego reacts, the soul responds. Mm -hmm. And at times you're going to want to have reactions, you know, a hot stove or a car coming at you. But we need to really learn to respond. And that's, that's a skill. It takes practice, but it's something we can all do. Absolutely. Absolutely. React versus respond. That is so true. <laughs> and a, a great way to be able to do that is aligning ourselves, right? And becoming more 
in tuned with how we're functioning so we can learn to respond. Um, yeah, go ahead. You mentioned um, healthy boundaries. I want to give some do this because it's yeah. so important. You know, I, I feel like the past 10 years of my life have been putting a plug in for healthy boundaries everywhere I go. And just real quickly, boundaries are... A, uh, a means of personal structure so we have some uh, integrity in our lives. Boundaries are, we could say, appropriate behaviors, uh, but they really lend themselves to having a sense of integrity. So I use the metaphor of a cell membrane around a cell because a cell membrane keeps the stuff inside that's supposed to stay inside and the stuff outside not to come in unless you know we need oxygen or, or, uh, or glucose or whatever. But so the point is that the cell membrane is flexible and it's intelligent. It knows what to bring in and what to take out, like the waste products. We too need to have a, a membrane of integrity because the cell membrane keeps the integrity of the, the cell. Mm -hmm. And so we need to have a sense of um, healthy boundaries for, um, for sleep. I mean, you can apply it to anything. You can apply it to sleep. You can apply it to eating habits. You can apply it to finances. You can apply it to people, friends, and such. But um, in this day and age, it seems like boundaries have really kind of almost become non-existent. And so hence the expression, you know, work-life balance. Uh, it used to be work was work and home was home. And now the two have come together. I mean, now they're the same place practically. Right. So, so it's important to, to, and I would encourage people to try this mantra. Just say to yourself every day, healthy boundaries. Sometimes several times a day, healthy boundaries. You know, you want to have a second piece of dessert, but say healthy boundaries. <laughs> Um, you want to you want to go through your your uh, social media at ten o'clock at night, but you really want to go to sleep. Healthy boundaries. So, um, so I'm a real big fan of this. And now, healthy boundaries takes a good boundary takes about thirty days to practice. It's a habit to where it becomes second nature. And so, um, and if you try and do a lot of it once, you're going to pull your hair out because you go crazy. So, just pick one thing, and I would say survey your life. In the course of, of the next uh, day or so, and just ask yourself, you know, where can I do a course correction? Where can I do something to pull myself back to balance? And you know, we do this on New Year's Eve with New Year's resolutions. We do it with big birthdays like the you know 30405 or whatever. We do this Lent. Anybody here is a, a Catholic you may recognize that term. Um, you know, don't do, don't eat this, or you know, somebody give up. These are all exercises of willpower to try and bring us back to balance. No, they're not meant to be punishments and, and healthy boundaries are not a form of punishment. The irony is healthy boundaries are liberating. They may seem like they're confining, but they give you freedom because you're no longer a victim. And typically we see people who don't have healthy boundaries, they get walked all over. You know, one of my favorite movies, I know you're out in your Hollywood, so I'll just give a little plug here. Um, <laughs> the movie, The Color Purple. And there's a scene where Oprah Winfrey's character is on a patio with Ruby Goldberg. And she says, girl, you're just a welcome mat and people walking all over you. And I thought, oh my God, this is all about healthy boundaries. So we need to pull up the welcome mat every now and then and to establish a zone where we can't become walked over. We can't become uh, victimized because if there's no boundaries, at some point you're gonna claim victimization. And when you, you know you hear victimization, when you hear people doing what I call as BMW, stands for bitch, moan, and whine. And we hear a lot of this. Now, that's also grieving. When you hear that, it's grieving. But at some point, it no longer is healthy. It goes into unhealthiness. And then that's where we see victimization. Victimization basically is unhealthy grieving. 
if I can be so simple with that right for right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm going to give everyone here listening to this a challenge. I want the next 30 days, I want you to think of someplace you could do a course correction, pull yourself back to balance and try this on for size. You know, whether it's going to bed at 10 o'clock as opposed to midnight, whether it's, um, stopping uh, social media at, at eight o'clock. So you have two hours without the blue light from your computer screen uh, beating up on your melatonin levels, something so that you can actually uh, do this and then practice it every day. Then the first day may not, may not go so good because that's, that's typically how things go. But the first time you try to basket through a hoop, you probably didn't make it. Or the first time you sat down at a keyboard, you probably, you know, just got like, you know, a mess, but it takes practice. The more you do it, the better you become at it. And that's what healthy boundaries are to establish a sense of personal integrity. Absolutely. Yeah. Personal integrity. I think that is so important and that comes hand in hand with the sense of empowerment, you know, with having those healthy boundaries. Right. And I, I know some, I love how you're saying, you know, when you have healthy boundaries, it can become, um, not just empowering, but it's having the healthy relationship with the healthy boundaries and it not feeling limited by them. And I, I feel like sometimes we'll create boundaries to the point where it's like, no, this is how it needs to be done. I need to be strict with it. And there's a balance between discipline of like, I'm doing this because it's going to nourish me and the quite opposite of being so strict to where it's really diminishing your your energy. And yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. We don't want to have to be so inflexible that we, um, we imprison ourselves with our own thoughts or, or, or uh, restrictions. So yeah, we've got to have some flexibility there. Absolutely. Mm, love that. Um, yeah. I think we've covered most of what I was very curious about. I, I'm, is there anything else popping up for you that you'd like to share? Well, um, you know, I am not a psychic, but I, I sense that we're in this for the long haul. So I think that these are all, these are life skills, I got to tell you. So you know, whether there's a pandemic or not a pandemic, these are good to have. Um, they, I guess the bellwether of um, a horrible experience to me was the people who were stuck in Auschwitz. And so I'm a real big fan of the work of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. But but um We'll, we'll get through this. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some practice. It's going to take some some um, skill development with these things here, but we'll we'll do it, and um, and we're going to come through okay. And I think if you can just kind of keep an eye on um, this idea of of is my ego getting too involved here, or what can I do to um, to keep that keep it domesticated? I think we're going to be okay. And also, um, self care is a real important thing here. How we take time for ourselves. It's not egotistical is not conceited it's essential in this time period and that's part of healthy boundaries is you know this is my time just to replenish my personal energy so uh very very important there but we'll get through i'm an optimist we'll get through this and we'll do it gracefully i have no doubt yeah i love how you mentioned um it self-work being essential because that is ultimately what i'm trying to promote through this summit is the better we can connect with ourselves the more we're aligned with ourselves the more we can really start building what we want from ourselves and lead from the inside out, mm-hmm. it's going to start trickling down into all the other things that affect our lives. Like, of course, there are going to be things that we will not have control of, but we do have control of our internal environment when we start to apply ourselves the best we can. So I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, 
And so you do have a few free gifts for everyone, which is on the page. And there's some buttons there on the side. So everyone make sure you're, you're clicking on those. So you take advantage of them. Uh, if you could explain just what they are, that would be great. So they have a little insight. Sure. I, again, I did that a couple of days ago. I forgot what I sent you, but I think it's a couple of articles. Yes. And also, I think I gave you an MP3 audio file of a relaxation uh, guided mental imagery that I did uh, that people can actually um, go back to time and time again. And so that's kind of nice. I think sometimes it's hard to um, to put yourself in that position until someone can walk you through it. So if you want to try a guided med- meditation, then um, please join me in that. Uh, but that, those are some of my uh, ways of saying thanks for uh, for uh, joining us today. Absolutely. And you gave some great examples, I feel, through our talk um, that I hope everyone took notes on. If not, uh, if you're a VIP member, you are getting your recordings. So that way you can you have your little stress management toolbox or toolkit, I like to call it, so you can keep reflecting back um, to it throughout the year. And um, so there's those little nuggets. Make sure you're rewinding into those and checking back in. Um, last question, because I'm just curious, what inspires you and what inspires your work? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what, what one word could I use. Um, I would say love. Love inspires me, um, uh, but it comes in lots of different ways. And one way in which I want to share with the one, because we don't want to talk about this, but forward in now is is humor. I think humor is definitely an aspect of love. And um, I, um, you know, I go out and walk every morning. That's my little nature fix. And uh, and I'll be walking. I'll just start thinking something funny, and I'll just start laughing. And I'm thinking like, if someone were to see me, they must think I'm nuts. But I am. Um, I laugh at a lot of things. And my wife says to me, she goes, "You're your own best audience." <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we all need to be is our own best audience and, you know, look for funny things. There's a lot of, of funny things out there, irony, uh, incongruity stuff. And um, yeah, there's a lot of sadness, uh, but I think back to the words of, um, of Anne Frank, who says, you know, I, I see all the misery in the world, but I choose to focus on the beauty. And I, I do the same thing too. Yes. Humor is great. I love laughter and it just feels so good. And I know that I always feel a little bit lighter after I have a good laugh. Um, So that's beautiful. Well, thank you, Brian, for joining us. I really appreciate your insights and I hope everyone else enjoyed as well. Make sure that you're hopping on our Facebook group to stay connected. And I just love checking in with you guys or everyone and making sure that this content is not just resonating for you, but that we're here to support you through the process as well. And um, so make sure you're on that Facebook group. Other than that, keep continuing to propel your momentum. We will see you tomorrow. Have a beautiful day.